From the WNET Group in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and this is WNET Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who create our content. Holly Carter is the founder and executive director of By Kids, a global movement that uses storytelling through film to inform, engage, and inspire action. Right now, the organization is once again partnering with 13 to present a third season of Films by Kids, airing on public broadcasting stations throughout the country. These teens from around the world have compelling stories to tell. I was born with cerebral palsy. They're still going to be there with me. What will we celebrate next week? What can they tell us about the world they live in? Meet these young storytellers and find out what they want you to know. You get to see the world through a different lens. On Films by Kids. Holly, welcome to WNET Up Next. Thank you so much. Really an honor to be here. Well, thanks. And how, how are you? Okay, that's a loaded question during COVID. I, mm -hmm. My pat answer is I am safe and sane-ish. It's been a crazy year, I okay. think, for everybody for different reasons. But I feel like if I can bring it to by kids, it just feels like a remarkable opportunity for everyone around the world to understand the value of teachers and good teaching and how very much we need to be able to walk in other people's shoes and have a little bit of empathy for them. It's a great mission. Could you tell us how By Kids got started? 14 years ago, I had left a career in print journalism. I had been for many years at the New York Times as a writer and an editor. And I think factored in the fact that I had two, at that point, young kids in private school here in New York. The textbooks and the way curriculum is written seem not to really engage my kids or the kids around them in any particularly personal way. And the experience of having been a journalist where I watched a lot of swoop in, capture stories that didn't come from the people seemed a very important element to what I was trying to change in the world. And I really, I was raised by two social justice oriented parents and just really put together this idea that maybe there was a way to tell stories in a way that allowed for people to open their hearts and minds enough so that they might behave differently. And that wouldn't that be cool to be teaching to a new generation of potential social activists who could be learning about the world in a very personal way, not in a pedantic way, could be learning through the voice and the eyes of kids that look like them and experience the world like them, not through the eyes of a UNICEF bureaucrat who was spewing statistics. You know, I just, I really believe that people have an understanding of an issue when they understand it emotionally. And until they understand it emotionally, there's no way to, to act. You just, you get washed over by statistics or abstractions. And that if there was a way that we could use the voice of kids to promote these very complicated, deep and important stories, we might be able to really change the tenor of the American classroom, which is what we've been 
working for the last 14 years to try to do. I was just wondering, is it a sense too of the kids being willing to listen to other kids where they're not willing to listen to old fogies? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, there's something magic and I, I will tell it anecdotally. I, we had just finished our first film that was made in Mozambique by a young boy who'd been orphaned by AIDS. And we were screening the film and having a conversation in front of a group of high school boys on the Upper West Side of Manhattan on a June morning. Now, June, right before the end of our, you know, remember when the school year used to be in person, the exams were coming. These kids were all exhausted and so ready for summer vacation. And about five minutes into the 27-minute film, the headmistress who was sitting next to me literally ribbed me with her elbow and said, I can't believe it. These kids are all silent. You could hear a pin drop. And, you know, I'm a little skeptical sometimes. I'm like, oh gosh, I hope they're not sleeping. And then a couple more minutes, we get to a very emotional part of the film. And she ribs me again and says, these kids are all in tears. What you have is gold. We thought maybe it was beginner's luck, but 13 films later, these films really in front of other kids, there's something magical, deep and connective when they're hearing it through the voice of somebody like them. Kids don't like being told what to do, but they, they're desperately hungry to connect to the outside world. They want to help and be seen and be understood. And I think part of the magic of what this is, is it's seeing a kid having the authority to be telling their own story allows them to imagine the kind of agency that they have to tell their story. And as I find myself reflecting more and more on how we educate what better or try to educate better in this country, I really believe at the core, we need to be teaching our kids to find and use their own voice. And that it's not about knowing the dates of wars and about knowing, you know, Google got invented for that. But I think that the goal of education to me really should be to teach our kids to feel comfortable in their own skin and to find the voice, which is the power we each have, and begin to use it. And that these films are an example of a kid who's never made a film before, who is stepping into their power and being able to share something very personal. They're thinking about what they want the world to know about their life, really is an invitation to students and other young people and anyone for that matter, to think about their journey in the same way. There's a very interesting process that leads to each kid filmmaker. Could you run us through that a bit? We think about a globally relevant topic. We then decide what country would be unexpected to pursue that topic, something that's not on the front page of the newspaper. We then partner with a nonprofit in that country to help us find a group of kids from whom we can pick our one filmmaker. We then pair them with a mentor who has potentially the language capability, obviously the interest in the topic, 
and the time to take a month. We give them a plane ticket and off they go to teach the young filmmaker how to tell their story. Um, before that we have this season, you know, we knew we wanted to make a film about disability, about Native American culture, about the effects of the internet and about anti-Semitism. And we work backwards very systematically around the themes. Well, let's hear the voice of the filmmaker from your Native American film, whose name is Donette moniz Rayon. If I asked you to tell me about yourself, about who you are, what would you tell me? Would you tell me the color of your hair, your favorite song, your hobbies, who raised you, what town you grew up in, the schools you went to, or your profession? Or would you tell me about the God you prayed to, the language your grandparents spoke, the holidays you celebrate, your country of origin, the color of your skin? Would you tell me who you truly are? Let me tell you who we truly are. She's so special and she wrapped so much into this very poignant, beautiful short film. So tell me more about Donette and her mentor. Donette, unlike some of our other kids, has had a fair amount of media experience. I met her when I was invited to the UN Youth Summit three years ago, and Donette was on a panel, and I was floored by her ability to articulate and speak truth to power about Native culture. She made reference to the fact that she was the first Native American ever featured in Teen Vogue. So she talked a little bit about her modeling career. This kind of blew me away. And I pushed my way through a large group of people, waited my turn to speak to her and described by kids, we help a kid like you make a documentary film by sending you a camera and a mentor. We then, you oversee the editing of the film, we then partner with public television, we create educational material, we get these films into half the schools in America, we create conversations with kids one-on-one -on -one in 150 countries around the world. And she literally gave me, pre-COVID, gave me a hug and said, well, you need to talk to my mom. <laughs> and mom was not far away and I, told mom and mom thought that was quite a fascinating idea for somebody who had already begun to explore how she could use her voice. And a year later, we connected her with Evan Muscogny, who's the incredible mentor on this film. Evan is a trained lawyer turned filmmaker and has made a couple of really amazing documentary films. And there's some big news coming for him soon. So don't forget his name. Okay. And Evan was dispatched to Omaha, Nebraska for a month. And I get phone calls and emails and texts along the way. And sometimes things are going well. Sometimes there are challenges. Every text from Evan was, oh, Donette is incredible. You wouldn't believe the layers on this story. And if I tell you 
how a young woman, she was 17 years old when she made this film, how she could figure out how to, in a positive way, how to talk about the generational trauma that her parents have endured, that her grandparents have endured, the kind of struggles with addiction and alcoholism and mental health issues, yet holding and actually honoring the beauty and the pride she has in her incredibly beautiful culture. And then Evan one night was like, oh, you're not going to believe this. But one of Donette's best friends who we just spent the day with is what they call a two-spirited. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here we were going into the pandemic, worried about everybody's mental health and realizing that this film was a way to really honor and investigate how this Native culture does so many things so well, use it as a bit of an exploration around mental health issues. And we got the two-spirited friend to be able to talk about how that has been a journey within that culture. Danette is a rock star. I knew it the minute I heard her speak, and it couldn't have worked out better. Can you tell me more about the role of the mentors and how that all works? The premise of all of this is that we create understanding through storytelling, that the mentor is a key piece to helping deliver the film. So we have a stable of relatively well-known film producers and directors who are available to us. Based on their interest and their availability, we pair them with the kid. Our first film mentor pointed out, you want to pick the kid who's got that directorial ability to boss people around with a smile on their face. And the month that the mentor and the kids spend together is pretty all-consuming. So the mentor is teaching the kid how to use the camera. None of them have used camera equipment before. In some cases, having to learn the computer They storyboard together. They decide what they're going to shoot. They decide how they're going to shoot. They shoot. Usually there is a computer that's got final cut. The mentor helps the kid understand the basics of film editing. The raw footage is brought back and the editing process includes at every step of the way, you know, each cut of the film gets sent back to the kid who makes notes, make it, makes adjustments, say that doesn't work there, you missed this. There is a script that the kid is asked to write that ties all the chapters together and the narration is recorded after the editing is finished. So you're hearing the actual kid's voice. So the mentor in every one of these 13 cases has really become a family unit with the kids. So they're, the process when they're together in the country is intense. They're with each other every day, all the time. And the training is pretty extensive. Alcides is our first filmmaker, actually has a film and television production company in Maputo. So he learned enough to start a career. I think likely many of the other filmmakers will make another film in their life, maybe not be filmmakers. 
my background is after journalism was in documentary filmmaking. So just feel very lucky to know an incredible stable of people who want to impart their talents on the next generation seems to be the quality that most of our mentors have had. It's almost as if you've given them a graduate degree in filmmaking, the Bi Kids Institute of Filmmaking. Oh, funny you should say that. We're working on that idea as we speak. <laughs> From Nebraska, we travel to Berlin, Germany. The first thing anyone ever asks me when they find out I'm Jewish is, you're Jewish and you live in Berlin, Germany, of all places. All young Jews in Germany have a really big task because we are the people, they must tell other people from other countries why we're living in Germany, why we're living in this place where we was killed by the Germans. It has always been a dream of mine to show Jewish life in modern-day Berlin, navigating the past while living in the present. My name is Simon Shabai, I'm 19 years old, and I'm a young Jew from Berlin, Germany. So this film is called L'Chaim. Yes, L'Chaim to life. I think what's overwhelming as I'm thinking and talking about these films with you is how many dimensions can get packed into 27 minutes. We were lucky enough to screen this film for a private club here in New York a couple of weeks ago and have Anya Barron, the mentor, with Zaymon with Anna, his sister, and with Jakob, his best friend. And we call them the three musketeers because between the three of them, they were able to tell this, to me, very surprising story of how it can be in modern day Germany that you can be Jewish and German. Each of these films, once it's out in the world is really to me the beginning of the joy and the beauty of this. We really are about using the films to start conversation. So this was the first conversation we've been able to have with the film, albeit on Zoom. And Anya was given an opportunity to really talk about why this film was so interesting to her as a mentor. And she described having grown up in Berlin she left Berlin for college. She's lived in the U.S. for 30 years. And how returning to Berlin with her Jewish husband, she's not Jewish, 30 years later was super surprising that when she was growing up, the Jews were separate and there was no vibrant Jewish life. In fact, non-Jews didn't really know what Jewish life was. And she became really fascinated with how much things had changed in the 30 years she had been there. Certainly for me, there was a lot to learn about modern Germany and how, you know, there's scenes in the film about how there certainly is anti-Semitism and this is meant to be a bit of a reflection on what that rising anti-Semitism means for all of us that are dealing with it differently in each of our countries, but how the Jewish community has been able to not just build and develop this sense of pride and openness, but in Zemon's case, how he works hard to bridge the divide to the non-Jewish community. And mm -hmm. as he was speaking, I thought, you know, Bike Kids is all about 
trying to have cross-cultural conversation and his film and the conversation that Anya and he were having very personally is exactly that. It was pretty mind-blowing how multidimensional and surprising this film was. This is a global effort, as you've mentioned, and we can come back to America for the story of Faith Gilbo. I was born with cerebral palsy because I was a couple weeks early and like premature and it cut off the oxygen to my brain, which also caused part of the vision issue. Um, when I was born, uh, um, my brain like damaged my optic nerve. I can see like certain colors and I can't see far Way, but I can see close up. When I watched Faith's story, I was really struck by her strength, her family's strength, and almost the matter-of-factness with which she deals with her conditions. I think that there's that scene that I've probably seen 300 times, but makes me cry every time when she's with her two friends. And they say, don't ever call us inspiring. We're just living our life, yes. right? And that was such a humanizing and such an enlightening thing to learn from, from them. And there's no sentimentalization of anything in that world of hers. Well, like we've all learned during COVID time, we all adapt. Like there's this ability for humans to be incredibly resilient. And these guys have dealt with so much adversity and so many challenges and they you can't use the word inspiring, but the, the family really does inspire. They are. They are. They, they, they might not. Faith doesn't want to be called inspiring, but her mom and dad certainly are. That they, yeah. just, they want, you know, they want their kid to thrive. And it just, it seeps out of the film. Yeah, their incredible love is amazing. 18-year-old Renzen Germay decided to leave his rural community in Bhutan to become a monk when he was 11 years old. He is content studying Buddhist traditions. But he also wants to understand how some of his peers spend their time. Tourism and technology have had a major impact on the small nation of Bhutan. With guidance from filmmaker Kat Papadimitriou, Rinzen explores how he and his country are striving to preserve Bhutan's culture while embracing globalization. A very familiar and wonderful voice we just heard. Yes, wonderful Ashley Judd. She has narrated all three seasons for us. And we're just really delighted. She continues to be such a huge supporter of our work. Of all the celebrities in the world, she was just the perfect fit. And I feel so grateful that she agreed to do it and continues to do it. She had a terrible accident right after she recorded all of this. Yes. And is recuperating. So I send my love and my best, but she's really magnificent. Rinzen left to become a monk. And I love the, you know, I've gone into film out of print journalism, so I could use moving image. So radio, this is fun. We have to paint the picture. <laughs> we have to paint the picture. Um, yeah. 
But there's a scene in this film where Rinzen has chosen to go into the big city and he is meeting with a group of rap singers. And, you know, to have him in his long red robe and he's, he's such an innocent, quiet soul. In fact, as a little aside, every time we wanted to do any sort of recording, he seems to be in another very elongated silent retreat, which has made making mm -hmm. the film really difficult. Um, but the scene of Rinzen really taking in the modernity and the hipness and the grooviness of these breakdance rappers is just priceless. We were really trying to do a meditation on what the internet and global connectedness has meant for everybody. And that scene to me captures so much of this innocence and the quietness and the historical, cultural depth of Buddhism juxtaposed. And by the way, they're dancing and interacting on a plaza with this huge gold Buddha behind them. It's magnificent. And like, there's a cut toward the end of the film where it's interspersed with some very traditional dancing and this idea that we we really walk when when we are conscious of our culture and very much to Zaymon and Lahayim, there's always duality and if we're careful about or Donette's film about culture and and how it intersects with our reality. It's just really fascinating to me. And it was so well captured in that particular scene. I was very much struck by the beauty of the photography of this episode. We had a lot to work with. Let's put it that way. Bhutan is not an ugly country. <laughs> I just want to point out that all seasons of Films by Kids can be streamed at 13.org slash Films by Kids. And I don't want to forget to let people know about your web presence, which is bykids.org. Amazing amount of material there as well. I invite people to explore, to watch the other films. I am infinitely available. I love getting emails from people about potential story ideas. We will someday soon go back to live events. We are open to Zoom conversations. The upside of the pandemic is that we can have events that connect lots of our filmmakers from around the world, not just the ones that are near New York. That's wonderful. Well, our guest today is Holly Carter, who's the founder and executive director of By Kids. Holly, thank you so much for being with us today and all the best to you going forward. Thank you. What a joy to be with you. Thank you. Thanks also to Suzanne Rose and the entire kids media and education team at the WNET Group. Thanks to our audio engineers, John Berman and Josh Broom, and our editor and executive producer, Dana McBride. And thank you for listening. Join us again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. You're welcome to share your questions and comments with us at upnext at WNET.org. And of course, please do become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design, On-Air Promotion, and Fundraising Department of the WNET Group. I'm Tom Stewart.